The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's up, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the I Am Pits Podcast. And I have with me today a fellow podcaster and someone I would like to consider a good friend now. We have with us Mr. Brian Parrish of the Parrish the Thought Podcast. What's going on, my man? Man, it is so good to talk to you once again. It's fun. Uh, I've enjoyed our short-lived so far uh, relationship. It's been fun. So we're thank gonna, you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're going to call it a bromance at this point. You know what? I'm all, I'm, I'm all good with those because they're real. <laughs> it's definitely real. I told my wife, I don't know what it is, but I have a lot of Mormon friends at this point in my life. And I absolutely love it. <laughs> they make me better. Well, we're not all we're not all crazy. I mean, just some of us. <laughs> oh, man, that's just, but, yes. Anyway, I, I need to but, I need to get out there to Utah is what I need to do. So I got you out there now, and Tina. So, and Tina, yeah, it's 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 a fun place. It's it's really it's really pretty here. There's a lot to do, environment wise. There's, I mean, the mountains are incredible. It's desert. It's hot. It's cold. It snows. You get a little everything. It's cool. Yeah, yeah hopefully that's like I said. That's on the bucket list. So hopefully maybe next year after the recession kicks off and gas prices come down, hopefully <laughs> maybe I can make it out that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Without without mortgaging your home, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, pocket screaming a little bit these days, brother. But that's why I'm oh, glad I we got. That's why I like being a cop right now. Job security. You know, that's the, the more yeah. crime keeps yeah. going up, I don't have to worry. <laughs> you know, there's there's some truth to that statement, <laughs> and you love what you do, so that's helpful ah, too. I really do, man. I really do. And speaking of loving what you do, so. One thing I know with you is you love being a podcaster, but everyone seems to have a podcast nowadays, but everyone's journey to podcasting is different. And so I kind of want to go back with you and try to get the audience to get to know who you are and how you became you. So where are you from originally? I am from a little, I call it a village in Northern California of about a hundred people that no one's heard of. A village Um, of a hundred people. yeah, it's a tiny little town up in the mountains near Tahoe. Really pretty place, but very, very isolated. And my my grandfather, like back in the mid-30s, he owned either owned or managed the Palm Springs Airport and was did a little summer mountain road trip to this little community called Old Station and loved it. And he moved there. So my dad has been there since he was five years old. He is now 82 and will probably die there. But it's, wow. it's, a, it's a, a little slice of heaven, but uh, really isolated. And I wouldn't want to live there again, but it's fun to visit. And where's this? Palm Springs, California? Palm Springs is where my grandfather lived at the time. That's Southern California, near like an hour east of L.A. Gotcha. But then he, he was doing a little summer road trip up in Northern California, complete opposite end of the state. And found this little piece of heaven, I guess, is what you call it. Man, I can't imagine. But so I left it when I was 18. Really? What made you leave? 
school and my dad said you're gonna you need to get out of here because i would have it's a logging community or it was a logging community when that existed <clears throat> and he said you know you're gonna go to college because if you stay here you'll never leave and i probably would have ended up driving a logging truck and never left not that leaving not that staying is horrible but i never would have branched out and and had the experiences i had so i went to school i came to utah state for college right after high school and and then from there moved over to colorado state and and finished school there and then ended up going to palm springs where i met my wife and then we came back here 15 years ago because we wanted seasons (laughs) definitely got them out there and palm springs is hot and less hot those are the two seasons (laughs) man so what was it like growing up in a logging community i can only imagine what that must have been like growing up. I'm sure you learned a lot of things. What were some of the like important lessons you learned growing up in such a small community, especially from your father, who seems like he was a very hardworking man being a logger. Yeah, he was him and his brother were, they logged together. My dad's done a little bit of everything, but uh, most of my friends, parents, or, you know, their dads worked at the mills or drove logging truck and there's a lot of farming in the area as well. Um, Small community. I, you know, everybody, um, my school was about 40 miles away in another small town, but you know, a little bit bigger. 40 so I, was miles. The, I was on the bus 40 miles. So I was on the school bus an hour and a half, one way to school every day. You know, so three hours on the bus and, but it was all you knew. Um, there was probably about 20 kids in my little town and you just, you, you learned how to entertain yourself and you know, you worked and you, had chores, but you in the woods and your bikes were your that was your refuge, and that's what you did. You know, I look back and I'm like, my kids are like, how could you live there? Like, well, you had nothing to compare to, and but just the the the, the tight knit community. Everybody knows everybody is a good thing. Can be a bad thing, but it's a good thing. Uh, I still have. Uh, I can go back and, and visit people that are still there that I know, and I know their kids or their grandkids or their grandparents. And I mean, three generations, three or four generations went to my same high school. Am I the first black that. person you met, Brian? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we, no, it, it, it was, it was in terms of like demographics. Yeah. It was called Shasta County. I think there was one black kid in my school and I didn't think anything of it. Just, okay. It was never, and it was never like something I noticed or didn't notice. He was just a good dude. And that was it. Probably one of the widest places on the planet. And now I live in one of the widest places on the planet, (laughs) not really by conscious design, but just ended up being here. So, but yeah, man, that's awesome. man. But it's been fun. It's cool. It's cool. That is, that is awesome. So what did you, so what did you uh, study in college? I started in landscape architecture and then changed over to graphic design. And then I was a, when I graduated, I did graphic design for 20 plus years until about five, six years ago and got burnt out with that world. And, and then changed over to real estate about five years ago. How's that switch been for you? Best thing I ever did for my life. I, I've had the best five years of my life because I've, I never thought I could do sales and because people said, you're really good with people. You're really interested in people. You should do sales. And I was like, no way in hell am I going to do that? Because we've all had that experience with that sales guy who's, who's trying to pitch you and, and doesn't really care about you, just wants to sale. 
I'm like, I don't want any part of that world if that's what I got to be. But I quickly realized that you don't have to be that way. You can just be good, decent, kind, help people. And so the freedom it's allowed me has been amazing. Freedom of thought. I mean, just my mental, my mental game is so much different now because I, I believe I can do more and be more. I never thought I could before because I was taught to survive and just exist by my dad, who is a hard worker, but that isn't enough. So I switched all that up and it's been the best five years of my life. And I started this freaking podcasting world, which I love. And that may be your next question. How did I get That's into exactly this, right? where I was going. Yeah, man. Like, because everybody's got a different journey into podcasting. And I'll tell everybody, everybody and their mama got a podcast. But just because somebody has a podcast does not mean it is good. And I think a lot of people end up getting into podcasting and realizing, whoa, this is not easy. This is actually mm. a job. And you got to prep and you got to work and can make reach out to people and find time. So it's got to be something you really enjoy doing, you know, and I've listened to your podcast yeah. and multiple episodes and I'm like, nah, this, I like this guy. I like his perspective. So how did you, what got you started and interested in it? Well, I, I've always just been genuinely interested in, in people's stories and hearing, hearing about them. When I ask someone how they're doing, I want to know, not that, you know, other people aren't, but that's been my thing. And it's always been easy to get to know people. And then about, Five years ago, a friend of mine said, you should do a podcast. You're, you're, you've got a good perspective on things. And, and I'd never even thought about it. And that's when I started hearing about podcasting and some of the software. And the software that I use is a free software called Anchor. And i just been hearing some advertisements about it. I'm like, all right, I'll try it. And one of the other inspirations for it was there was a show, a TV show on uh, BYU TV Story Trek. And this guy would randomly go to towns and literally randomly knock on someone's door with his camera and say, Hey, what's your story? And of course everyone would, you know, be resistant and say, well, who am I? Nobody wants to hear my story. I've got nothing. People think they have nothing. And it's just a big, one of the biggest lies ever. And so when they were done interviewing that person, they'd drop a map of the town or they put a map of the town on the, on the ground, drop a Sharpie marker on it. And wherever it landed, that's where they'd go next and knock on someone's door or, first person that walked up with them, they'd ask him, you know, what's your story? And it's amazing. I learned that, you know, if you, if you've breathed, breathed the breath of life, you've got a story to tell. And that's what this host of the show, that was his, his premise. And just the, the miracle of the randomness of it was so impressive. So that's how I work my show. I mean, I don't go to random people. I just, I look at, I'm like, well, that's an interesting story. Um, the way I found you, it was interesting because I've interviewed other police officers and I wanted another perspective and uh, just your background and the things you've learned. And um, one of my neighbors is a 911 operator. I'm like, well, that's, that'll be an interesting story. Um, some people have written some books, some authors, just anybody that I think is interesting. So I'll basically talk about anything but poetry because I hate poetry. Uh, you know, you and I, we both have discovered our hatred of poetry through <laughs> he and I have been kind of tag teaming on the 1619 project book. You know, one thing I've been trying to do is a lot of people, you know, we get stuck in these echo chambers and we like reading material that reaffirms our beliefs and biases. And so me and uh, Brian, we decided, hey, man, we're going to check out the 1619 project together. And as we're sitting here listening to it, you know, I'm like, you know, this is kind of heavy on poetry, man. He was like, yes, it's horrible. I was like, same. It's like, I knew I liked you. <laughs> it's almost like, and, and I, you know, and I'm sure I, I, I might be turned. I would, I'd be willing to let someone try to teach me how to enjoy it. But it seems like they're using a lot of poetry for filler in the book. Yes. 
Absolutely. I just, I just, I have a hard time relating to it. Maybe that's why I have a hard time reading scripture as well, because it's like poetry. It's like, did Shakespeare write the Bible? I think he may have. See, I'm the same way, man. That's why I tell people I'm a Christian, but not a very good one. Like, are you reading your Bible, young man? Like, not as much as I should, but in my defense, like I say, I don't really read anything else either. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not a big book well, guy. <laughs> yeah. And I can read it, but I mean, I understand it. So that's, yeah. I, that's probably part. It's probably by design that you have to really put effort into it and pray and study and all that. But anyway, so yeah, so that's why I do my show and it's uh, just surpassed a uh, hundred episodes a few months back. And it's just a little hobby I do. Um, if somehow I could replace my real estate income with podcasting, I would, I would do that because I love talking to people. I hate the editing part of it. I just like to talk to people and I wish I had a team that would <laughs> take it and chop it up and send it out. But I got to do that too. Cause that's the bootstrapping. World yes, it is. But I love it. I love it. I love talking to people. There's so many stories. And, and I think we are forgetting how to talk to each other, truly talk to each other and try to understand each other. And especially every other day, there's another divisive ruling or your politics or whatever. We're so divided. It's beyond belief, really, how, how volatile we are towards each other. And, and the, the social media allows you to be that keyboard warrior and have that keyboard courage and, and just hammer people with no accountability. And it just, continues the problem in my opinion it really does and, and you know people find these online communities and they're just echo chambers and like i said it just reaffirms their beliefs you know just like with the roe v wade decisions that just came out the other day i i almost have to just put my phone down and step away because it's so exhausting and, and the thing is you have people on both sides of the issue where it's like you have one side you know they're just gloating and happy and i understand hey i'm all for you know, I choose life. I'm very, you know, I'm pro-life, but at the same time, you can't just disregard the other side's argument because they have some valid arguments and valid concerns, but we don't have reasonable reasonableness within the country no more. We only think from the extremes and from the fringes now. You know, we have people on the left that are saying, you love, you know, what is it? You don't care about women, you hate women. And I'm like, that's not true. Then you have people on the right saying, you all just want to murder babies. And I'm like, that's not a fair statement either, you know? It's so hard to try to find people that are willing to talk and have a conversation like you and I. You and I, we are two totally different people from two totally different walks of life. But the fact is that we are able to meet and have conversations and be reasonable and sensible and listen. Man, my dad, how do you think we as a country and just as people can start moving towards that where we have people like you and I that can come together and have a talk, talk and have a conversation without wanting to kill each other? And just splintering off into these groups. We have to try and we don't try. Um, for example, I have a family that, that grew up in the Bay Area. The Bay Area <laughs> is extremely liberal, generally speaking. And I'm trying to have her on, um, especially about the Supreme Court ruling, because I want to hear why she believes what she believes. And I think, and there, I, again, this is all just theories of mine, but I think there's this fear that if I talk to the other side, then I'm going to be co-opted by that side or almost like you're supporting the other side just by talking to them. And I just don't think that's true. Um, you can ask, and I posted this the other day in, in light of the ruling, let us at least be willing to talk to people that have 
differing opinions and at least find out why they have those opinions because everyone has their experience that's, that's, that's driven them to work, the positions they hold, but we don't take the time to find out why. And sometimes I know even asking the question, you're going to get slammed for, you know, being a hater just for posing a question. But I think that's the, 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 the easiest step towards healing that we can all do. And if we're willing, if both people are willing to learn from each other and not try to win, because my dad said the other day, he was talking with some liberals because he's about as conservative as you can get. He says, yeah, I was talking to these liberals and couldn't really think of what to say to, to win or to, to beat them. And then afterwards, when the conversation was over, I thought of all these things I could have said to beat them. I'm like, I don't think that's what it's about. I don't want to beat somebody because what have I solved? I've solved nothing. And they go, they go away, not liking me anymore. And because they feel like they're being sold. Nobody wants to be sold. Especially in this world, man, where everything's being sold to us, man. It's, it's so hard to be an individual now because everybody feels like they have to be part of a group. You know, everybody has to be belong to this and that. And it's, and like when people ask me, like, well, are you black? I'm like, yes, I'm black. But I, at the end of the day, I'm just Dexter, man. My identity, we can't have our identities wrapped up in these, you know, in these issues and debates that are separating us. Because if that issue goes away, then what, what are you left with, you know? And I think a lot of people are afraid to be their own person because they don't know who they are as a person. And also, one thing I'm realizing with a lot of these debates right now, especially on social media, is I don't think people understand why they're mad themselves even though they're in support of something or or they're against something because it's like people don't have original thoughts now you know i can't tell you how many times i've seen the same things posted online like memes and post people are sharing because it's expressing i guess what they're thinking they just don't know how to put it in their own words so they keep sharing other people's thoughts and i'm like well you can share that but that that's not your own thought what is your own personal feelings and thoughts and I think we've gotten away from that to where people just share memes because they can't think for themselves. Yeah. And I see that and I've done it before back when I wanted to win. Uh, And sometimes, and maybe sometimes the meme captures exactly what you feel. I think we're also, if, if you're willing to share something like that, you should be willing to back it up or at least back up. Why? And, and like, okay. Uh, you know, mentioning my cousin again, uh, the one from Berkeley, when Barack Obama won, she, I think that's when I really changed my thinking about conversation. She was so excited and we were having this conversation on Facebook and she caught herself and she says, oh, I'm so sorry for being so excited. I know you probably don't like Obama. And at the time I didn't, I didn't really like his policies and what he stood for. But I told her, I said, you should be able to shout from the rooftops your love for this man and why you love him and, and, and be able to back it up and be, people should be okay with, with that. I, I, don't, I don't want to fight with you or tell you you're wrong because you love it. Tell me why. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. And, we, and I, we're so, again, stinking divided that we, we – it's just a strange – it's a strange you know, situation that we're in and it's just getting worse, I think. And maybe it's not, maybe it's just, I mean, I don't follow media much. Maybe it's getting better, but if you just sample in the media, um, it's going to just, it's poison. And in fact, one of my daughters was talking to 
my wife this morning about how frustrated and, and scared she is right now because she's watching all these stories. And I said, well, Hey, well, wh- where are you getting all this? And she's like, TikTok. I'm like, okay. Well, uh, is it possible that that might not be the best resource for your news <laughs> or at least balance it? But if it's all that, it's just people's opinion, which is less what I love about social media. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone can share it. But the sad part about it is everyone can share it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know it's, it's an oversaturated market. I mean, it's, there's so many opinions out there. You know, and, and I'll kind of go back to what we were talking about, you know, reading the Bible. It's the same with social media. You know, you have to be careful where you're getting your information from. And you have to be careful who is interpreting stuff for you. Because just like social media is not necessarily a bad thing, but whoever uses it can use it for evil and can use it for negative things, just like the Bible. I mean, uh, uh, Jim Jones in the Jonestown cult, he was able yep. to take something, he was able to take people that were lost and search something and use the word of God and perverted it and use it to his own benefit and brainwashed all these people. I mean, how many hundreds or thousands of people to leaving that behind their possessions and moving to uh, South America with him? And he convinced men to give up their wives for him. You know, and that's just why I tell people, man, we have to get back to a place where we're able to think for ourselves on some sort of level. Yeah, it, the philosophies of man mingled with scripture. Uh, here's an example. Uh, we were traveling a couple of weeks ago and we were in Manchester, England. And that's the home of my <clears throat> son's favorite soccer team, a.k.a. football you know we can't call it real football it's football (laughs) real Real football football. so we were touring the stadium and you know that's that's like his mecca and part of the tour was um we got to take a picture in the press box so i took this picture of me shaking his hand like like he was a new player so i i posted hey my son just got signed to the manchester united football club youngest player ever just put it out there (laughs) as a joke and it just got, it grew legs. And so many people, my family included, were, they bought it, hook, oh, line, wow. and sinker. And, and my, my brother even <laughs> called my dad and, and, and gave him this big, long spiel about how my son just got hired, you know, onto the Manchester United Soccer Club at 16 years old. <laughs> and I was just curious. I'm, I'm like, oh, we'll see how far this goes. And it's still going. Oh, wow. <laughs> some people, some people get it, but. Others are like, wow, that is so, when's he going to move there? It's a a sham. Thank you for playing along. Oh man. Yeah. That's great. You know, it, it takes nothing to put something on a social media for it to go legs, brother. It's just everything. That's why I told you, I don't believe anything I see on social media. I question everything now. And that's just because I'm a cop and because I'm kind of cynical, just because I just, people lie, people have agendas. And that's why I find it so hard for myself to, really get on board with some of the bigger social media people on platforms and influencers, you know, because I, I, mm-hmm. I know with social media, it's, it's all about generating clicks and likes. And in order to do that, you got to stir up controversy. You know, like one of the yeah. biggest things we had the other day was Juneteenth was just celebrated, you know? And I know that Juneteenth was taken by the Democrats and Joe Biden and they, they made it a federal holiday and I know they made it political but we have people that are black and people that are extremely conservative, people that are Republicans that refuse to acknowledge Juneteenth and celebrate it because Joe Biden made it into a federal holiday and used it for politics. Wow. And I understand, but you know, I was saying on my last podcast, sometimes we have to take away the politics and things and just strip things down to its core and look at it for what it is. It's like, hey, 
this is a good thing. But of course, you know, politics muddy the water and people's opinions, people stirring up controversy because they want some clicks. And, you know, some of the comments yeah. I've seen are, you know, it's just like absolutely disgusting and people trying to cancel companies because they're acknowledging Juneteenth. Yeah. It's, there, there, there's been, you know, I don't know studies, but people will take a, a famous quote by, they won't say who it's from. It'll be maybe by somebody from the right and they'll, they'll go on the street and, and talk to a bunch of uh, more liberal leaning people like on a college campus and say, Hey, this is this, what do you think of this statement? And they're like, Oh, we love that statement. And then the, the host, you know, the, the host will reveal where it came from. And then the people almost feel like, Oh, I don't know if I like that statement anymore. I'm like, well, why don't you give credit where credit is due, regardless of who said it, mm. but because someone from the other side, which is what we do, we other people and the sidesing and othering, if they said it, like, you know, if, if, if Biden comes out and says something good and it has merit and value, then great. I don't care that it's him that said it, but we, it's, yeah, the sidesing and, you know, the others, the teams and winning and it's, it's crazy. It's crazy what the mess we're in right now, but I think it's fixable. I think it's fixable if we just slow down again, the sources we, we, the, this, the, 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 I call it the trough that whatever trough you feed from, know that it might not be a hundred percent accurate. I know you might believe it because it, you know, it's confirmation bias and it fits your agenda, but it may be, we, we all might be being lied to. And I know that may be oversimplifying things, but there's a possibility because media is a business generally speaking. And like you said, clicks and and getting, you know, riling up your base and getting them fired up because I used to be very conservative, but I think I'm more in the middle now. And I hear all the time, the name calling and the, you know, the libs, the, the Dems, the, the right wing Republican, all is just the name calling. As soon as you name call, I think you, you, you've lose the argument to some extent. You've lost. Yeah. You're, you're, you are at your intellectual capacity. Once you have to start name calling, you know, because you literally have nothing else to go on, but that. Yeah. So it's an automatic. But it, it shuts. Yeah. And it shuts down the argument. Oh, you're a racist. All right. Well, okay. I guess I'm done. You're right. Yeah. But where where can we go from there? Because yeah. you know, if, if I disagree with and I, I I was called racist for not agreeing with some of Obama's policies, but it was more the liberal policy I didn't like. But you're racist because that's easier. It's intellectually dishonest, like you say. Yeah, and I and, and, and it just breaks my heart to see it. And so for me, it's one of those things where it's like as a black person and I, I hate saying that because it's like well i am black but you know i said that's not my entire identity and everybody yeah. wants to put these labels on us and put us into these boxes so let me ask you growing up with you what was the did y'all talk politics in your house at all in your small community and what was the outlook on like the rest of the world and the country from such a small community and did that shape your perspective well it was again very very conservative um, maybe even more conservative than Utah to a fault, really. Um, so that's all I knew. But I know I've, I heard my dad pissing and moaning about Democrats my whole life. Um, because, you know, the, the county where we're from, obviously very conservative. And that part of that north, northeastern California, very conservative. So I didn't really, there wasn't a lot of uh, the political discussions, but 
that was the general line converse, the underlying conversation everywhere was conservative values. So I didn't really know anything else other than my, um, my Bay area family, every year they would do a Valentine, like instead of a Christmas card, they do a Valentine card. And I know periodically there was some comments about any conservative president that may have been in the office in, in those cards. And I know my, you know, I think I may have heard my dad grumble about it, but I never really, you know, <laughs> as a teenager, I didn't, I didn't care. I was like, whatever, you know, Def Leppard, that was my band. They rock. And that was all <laughs> I cared about in sports and, you know, girlfriends and cars, you know, the typical things that, you know, high school kids think about. But I know as I got older and went to college, um, I started hearing more d- differing opinions and always always dug my heels in emotionally when I would hear things I didn't agree with. And then probably about I first started my show five, four or five years ago, I started bringing on these people that on the surface, you know, completely opposite perspective in terms of political values. And I would have them on and say, why do we get like that? Why do we get, because things this guy would say would just drive me crazy, but I couldn't argue with him because he was so articulate and smart. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to win. Cause that's when I wanted to win. I'm like, what is it about that? And I think it's values you've hold for so long. It becomes part of your identity. And if somebody challenges that, you almost feel like, well, if I, if this, if they're right, then I'm wrong. Then I've been duped my whole life. And nobody wants to feel like they've been duped. Cause like it, it sort of insults your intelligence that you, you know, someone pull a, pull a fast one on you and, and misled you. And I think that's where the resistance comes from. Yeah, especially, that's yeah. especially if you have lived by that thing your entire life and that becomes your identity, man, you don't want somebody to attack that and try to take that away from you because yeah. like I said, it's you're personal. left with it. Yeah, it's, oh, it's very personal, very personal. But honestly, I feel like, man, most people really don't know who they are at their core. I feel like most people are who people tell them they are. You know, it's just kind of like with kids. You know, I, I'm impl- implementing certain values, morals and into my kids very, that are very Christian and extremely conservative. You know, but at the end of the day, my kids are going to grow up and have their own experiences and become their own people. And I hope that they keep most of those things that I'm teaching them. But that's not necessarily guaranteed or promised. But at the end of the day, for me, I want my kids to be good people at the end of the day. You know, I have people tell me, well, you're raising strong black children. I'm like, I'm just raising good kids, man. Like, I don't care. I, no, my kids don't have to be strong black children. They just have to be good kids and good kids grow into good people. And that's what this country needs. I mean, we have enough to divide us here. And then we start focusing on things like skin color. And, you know, that's been one of my biggest issues in my life is like trying to decide for myself, well, am I black or am I just an American? And, and all, honestly, it's something I still battle with because it's just I'm constantly being pulled in each direction but I know who I Almost am. Almost being, yeah, like being told, you know, we, yeah, yeah, you're being put into a camp, into a box as well. Because I never thought raising, I'm raising four white kids. Never, never crossed my mind. I'm raising four, trying to raise four good kids. Top, top of mind right there, but never about their, what they look like, you know. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine trying to be a kid nowadays with all the influences from social media because, I mean, growing up, high school was hard enough, but I just couldn't imagine having the 
constant access on social media and the bullying aspects that go on, you know, and I feel like a lot yeah. of, you know, a lot of the issues we're having in the country, especially with, you know, the, for example, the school shootings, I really feel like a lot of social media has played a part in that in the fact that we kind of glamorize these people when these incidents happen. And I think people know that they can achieve some quick, cheap fame by doing something crazy on social media. And so I feel like we, we can't get rid of social media because it's a good avenue. But I also feel like it needs to be some parameters put in place, especially for children. Yeah, it, it's a phenomenal tool. And I absolutely love it. Like anything, like TV or radio, it, it's used for good and evil. And I think what social media has done, it's made people, as much as you can get your voice out there, it's also made people feel invisible. I think, and I, there's a quote, uh, someone that was on their email just today, it said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And I totally sympathize with that. Because, mm. uh, for example, if you go into the DMV or TSA through an airport, they have an uncanny ability to make you feel like you don't even exist. And I would rather have someone screaming at me, hating my guts, than pretend I don't exist. That's the worst, I think. And so that, I, I, I would guess that uh, along with this, you know, some of the, the mental illness, if someone feels invisible at school or you know, in life and they're like, someone's going to notice me. And if it, this is what it takes, this is what it takes. That's, you know, that that's the philosophy, you know, psychology, according to me. I like it and I agree with it, man. And that's what, you know, we used to have that saying on like the football team and in the army and on the PD, you know, if your sergeant's not in your face yelling and screaming at you, that means he don't care about you, you know, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately we get, we've gotten to a place where we have a much younger generation and, People feel like people yelling at them and disagreeing with them is an, is attacking them and not growing yeah. them. You know, it's like say somewhere yeah. along the line, America has dropped the ball. Do you feel like where do you think we've dropped the ball in this whole thing in America? Um, very generalized, but I, I think I think we're so many of us are so busy as parents trying to survive that by default, you know, things cost so much taxes are so high that we're so busy trying to survive that maybe we don't have the time necessary for our kids. Um, so they, they're, they're almost like raising themselves. And again, I, I have nothing to back this up, no stats or anything, but just what I've seen, you know, the kind of the disintegration of the family, um, parents, parents have their own issues. Um, parents are trying to do the best they can. And I think as a kid, if the sooner you can realize that your parents are just humans trying to go through this life too, the less expectations you'll have for them. And I mean, even, even when my dad, he was a single dad for a long, long time. <clears throat> and I think he has like Asperger's. Um, but I thought he was just rude and didn't care about my family and my kids and my siblings kids. So we were, I was pretty angry with him for many, many years. And then when I realized I'm like, ah, 
dad has this. It all that anger and hatred just went away because I realized that he was doing the best he could with what he had. And that's all I'm going to get. So my expectations are basically gone for what I'm going to get from my dad. And, you know, I think that's uh, just, yeah, the, the family, families, families are struggling. Yeah, we all, we all really are, man. And so let me ask what happened with your mother. I had my, my dad, my mother developed multiple sclerosis shortly after I was born and she had it for 10, had a severe, severe case, very rare case of it for 10 years. And I actually have no memory of her because shortly after I was born, maybe one, two years, she was in a care facility in the mm. Bay area where she was from. So I don't, I have no memory of her. Um, my, my older sister, she's five years older does. The earliest memory I have was my dad had remarried another woman who had three kids and those are my siblings now, but they were only married for eight years. Then they divorced. Then she died. Then my poor dad got married again about six months before I did to my wife. And then that wife passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease. So my his poor wife, dad, my was, Lord, all three, three of his wives have, have passed away. Jeez. So, um, but he's done it. He, he did it as best he could with what he had. Um, so, so I told his current girlfriend, I said, don't marry him because there's a pattern. Just date him. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so, you know what? Yeah. That's my, my father-in-law is the same way. So my wife, her mother died of cancer in 2004. And then he remarried and his uh, second wife, she passed away from heart failure uh, about probably about four or five years ago. Yeah. And he just remarried again. And, we love Mama Habeka, but she has a pacemaker. And I'm like, we need oh, you no. to hold on. We need you to hold on, okay? Oh, hang we on. love you. We need hang you. <laughs> the babies love you. The grandbabies yeah. love you. <laughs> yeah. No, it, you know, and we don't. Yeah. Really, I think we lose sight of that. You know, like with my father, I don't. I have not talked to my father in years because of my mother's suicide, and my father was involved. You know, but we, I think we also we lose focus that our parents have struggles, like you said, and. And I think another thing is, man, we we don't show our kids our human side because I guess we feel like it's not our kids' business. But, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book is because I want my kids to see my struggles so they know who I am. I feel like a lot of the older generation, kids don't know who their parents are and they don't understand why the things are being taught because I don't know why the older generation made everything so secretive. And maybe, and that, maybe that's just an older thing, but... I think it's, I think it, they felt it was a weakness and you don't reveal weakness. Uh, my wife is from England and the British are, you know, very stiff upper lip and you just keep on keeping on and you just put your head down and you don't talk about anything and you only show emotion to horses and dogs. Um, there's a lot of that. I think a lot of truth that if we do reveal that, then they will see us as weak. But I think it's, I'm going through some struggles with some of my kids right now about how, you know, the frustrations they have with how we raised them and just trying to help them understand like, Hey, mom and I were doing the best we could back then when you were, you know, our, our oldest was, she's like, well, that never happened. I'm like, why? Cause I didn't know what we were doing and we didn't have any money and we were struggling and I was struggling emotionally with all of my crap and my wife's crap. And you didn't know that. And, and as a kid, depending on the age, how do you, how do you share that with them? I, I guess there's all sorts of ways. You just tailor your conversation to the age. 
but just letting them know, hey, you know, sometimes mommy and daddy get things wrong and they do the best they can, you know? But yeah, yeah, I think I think we're a lot better. We're a lot more open to, you know, uh, mental illness too and struggles and life and anxieties and, and just being as open and as honest with your kids and, and your friends and family and people. And, you know, that's why, again, part of my show is, is having people tell their stories, you know, good, bad, and the ugly, because it shows real and realness that people can connect with. And a lot of these social media influencers look perfect by design, but every house has a story. Everybody's got something in their life, some challenge that we don't know about. I mean, look at how many Hollywood memoirs you have to read before you realize that, Hey, everyone, everyone's got crap. Sometimes this crap just has more zeros on the end of it. Exactly. And that, that clearly tells you that money is not, that is not the solver. Plenty of rich no. people, wealthy, well-to-do people kill themselves. And if, you know, if, that, yeah. if money was the end all be all, they would never kill themselves. So yet yeah. we have this culture where we are chasing after money and just all this cheap stuff, you know, that really doesn't add anything to you. You know, it makes your stay here on earth, your temporary stay here on earth a little bit more pleasant, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really fill you like it should, man, you know, and that's why I'm glad you have your podcast and, you know, you're, you're getting other people's stories out there because everybody thinks they're alone and they're struggle, but man, it's so crazy how we're at a time where we're so connected, but yet everybody's still so alone. So disconnected. Yeah. That's yeah. the funny thing about social yeah. media is it's so quote unquote social, but we hide behind our microphones and laptops and phones and aren't really connecting with people. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people connect better and maybe it's a new language kids are learning. I don't know. It just seems like we're not. And that's what I love about the podcasting platform because it allows people to really get into the weeds and get into a conversation. Whereas radio is good, but in TV is a little snippet. That's one way. So I'm telling you something you don't get any say in it. Um, just convert the art of conversation is, is hard. Uh, we're so busy and, you know, just sitting on the porch, you know, there's this older guy lives across the street from me. And sometimes I just see him sitting out there on the porch and he's always talking to me, always catches me and talks for 20 minutes. And I'm like, dude, I gotta, I gotta go. I got <laughs> stuff to do. And then a funny thing is I asked him, I said, Hey, I would love to have you on my podcast. You can talk all about this stuff. And he's like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, dude, you're always talking to me. Let's get it on. You know, let's record it for your posterity. Tell you, that microphone changes yeah. people, man. When people know they're being recorded, it, it, is, a, it is a different beast. <laughs> yeah. People freeze up, man. Candles, it's very sure. intimidating. <laughs> and once it's out there, yeah. it's out there. <laughs> it's out, it's out there. You, ain't, you ain't putting that genie back in the bottle. You are definitely not, man. You are definitely not. And, yeah. You know, and I feel like, man, more people should definitely put it out there. That's why I always encourage people. You know, like I said, I get tired with everybody. I'm not gonna say having an opinion, but everybody feeling like their opinion is that much more important than anybody else's. But I just feel like it's mm -hmm. so important to give some sort of credence to people's experiences and stories and listen to them and not necessarily agree, but understand where they're coming from. Because like you said, man, we at are all- At the very just, least. Yes, at the very least, man. There's a guy here locally that I, I'll be honest, I, I cannot stand the guy. He's a protester. And he's a very odd ball because he is the first black Satanist I've ever met. And I mean, he is complete on the far end of the spectrum of 
He's extremely far left. And he's like, man, I shouldn't have to work this hard to just, just to live, just to exist, you know? And I hear the things he says and it, and it stirs something up in me and makes me so mad. But it's like, part of me is like, it's so interesting. Like, why do you think this? And how did you become this? How did you become a black Satanist? And that's a story I'm, I'm trying to work up the courage to reach out to this guy. Cause he hates the police. Ooh. Yeah. Hey, he hates that the police. sounds like passion. your next, that sounds like your next show. He's your next guest. Yeah. If you if he's willing to come on and talk about it, does I he know, hate? I've, I mean, do you do you know him? Personally? No, I no. I've reached. I do oh, not okay. know him personally, man. I've I've seen him out. I've seen him out all over the protests, and he's very vocal. But man, let me tell you, this guy is extremely intelligent. The the way he communicates in some of his TikTok videos, and like I'm like, man, this guy he he knows what he's talking about to a certain degree. You know, it's his perspective yeah. is just completely different. But the thing is, he's so that would be in. fun. That would that would be fun. And I, it's not one of those where I'm and, trying to argue, just understand. Yeah. And I think that's how you approach it. That, I, I'm not trying to win. I might. I call it my my my. And he listens to my show quite often. I call him. He's my my uh, liberal atheist geek counselor. That's what I call him because he's very articulate. and He's very smart. And I've had him on my show three times because I don't. I know he thinks he 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 has it, he sees things in a, such a different way that at first I might be pissed off like ah come on Kenny you always want to win but I think differently helps me think differently and at least see things from a different perspective and I don't want to win I'm not trying to win I don't understand at the very least I think that's the first again first step in in, in you know helping us heal each other and not want to destroy each other with the next stupid politician move or media story yeah well we got enough pot with the politicians brother you know you can tell right now they're posturing for uh this coming november man and they're oh yeah yeah that's mm -hmm. everything that's going on right now is focused and centered around that i don't care what it is that is the focus of everything right now and you know if <clears throat> i remember when like there was the, the quote-unquote government shutdowns and people were worried about it and my perspective was like do they will we even notice if the government shuts down what i mean what are they and and maybe i'm maybe i don't know what how that works but like so what what if all the politicians went away tomorrow would we be okay i think we would i think we would be just fine americans know how to rally and get things done and they don't need a politician okaying whatever they're doing or, or disapproving of what they're doing i think people could be and again maybe that's oversimplifying it and, and i'm willing to have my mind changed or at least opened to uh to why that's why it's so important but i just don't think it's important anymore it's not man but you know it is everybody wants somebody to lead them because i think that comes from a place of laziness personally to where it's mm -hmm. like people don't want to make those hard decisions they, people don't want to may have to may have those hard conversations. So if you have a figurehead in that position, he does all the thinking and all this stuff for you. And you have, and all you have to do is just do your part. And I'm not going to lie. That's kind of how I am as a police officer. People are like, why aren't you a sergeant yet? Personally, I don't want all the responsibility that comes with watching over, you know, 25 to 30 to 40 people. I have my own issues to worry about. You know, so it's easier for me to just stay out here in the streets, make my calls and do this and that and live my life and work my hours and go home and be done. And so I feel like, like I said, I can admit that for myself. 
I feel like that's one of my flaws yeah. where people are like, man, you have all these leadership abilities and you're not using them. You're, I'm like, you're absolutely right. I am not, <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes it's hard to break yeah. out that shell for yourself, you know? Yeah. And I, I get you're in the trenches and you like that. You like talking to the people. Whereas if you were in a supervisorial position, you wouldn't have that contact with the, the people you're serving. That's a, that's a, that's a different mindset for sure. Microsoft spreadsheets give me anxiety. <laughs> yeah, when you're babysitting uh, adults. Exactly. It's a lot easier to yeah. babysit adults, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. Well, you know, and that, it's just not the time right now. And you are, you know, you're probably comfortable and but there's nothing I don't think there's anything totally I, I know we always say, Oh, you don't grow in your comfort zone, and that's true. Comfort is the enemy. <laughs> So it can be, it can be, but if you love what you're doing, then what's wrong with that? Exactly. What's wrong with being comfortable doing that? It's working. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. Well, my thing is I've struggled yeah. enough in my life. So it's like, I'm happy to be at a point where I'm comfortable because I feel like yeah. I've spent the last 38 years of my life struggling. And I'm just like, man, yeah. it's good to be at a point where I can feel like I can take a break and, you know, just kind of rest for a minute before I start on the next venture. And that's my yeah, reset problem. a little. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's and okay. And you know, that's, it works for you. So don't fight it. No. So know? let me ask you, uh, do you have any other plans outside of your podcast? Like what's next for you on the horizon? Well, the whole public speaking thing. And I know you were talking about that on your latest episode that i'm still listening to probably would like to be a public speaker but again does the world need another public speaker or another freaking author i don't know but that's something that makes me nervous uh, i've got one of my friends um, neighbor he did a ted talk and i think that would be fun to do a ted talk because i can get up and ramble in front of people but to have something really prepared where there's no interaction back and forth where it's just you talking that's a challenge so I, I think that's that's something i'd like to do um and I, you know i don't know what the, the plans for my show right now it's a hobby i love it it's slowly growing you know i'm into it four and a half years now i don't know really know what i want to do with it uh, other than just allow people to, to share their stories and have a platform would I like it to grow more? Absolutely. Um, but it is, it's growing. I'm not, I'm not in a position to, to devote more time to it than I am right now because <clears throat> I have family and bills and responsibilities and all that. And I, I, I like doing the real estate world that I'm doing. That works really well for me. So big plans. Yeah. Don't yeah. have a lot of, I don't have a bucket. I need a bucket to, to put my lists in. Don't have a bucket. Biting the elephant, eating the elephant once, one bite at a time, brother. I feel you. I'm right there with you. Man. I don't even know if the ele- yeah, I don't even know if the elephant's there. <laughs> Just like, I don't really. I don't. But yeah, uh, you know, I don't have setting goals is still a new thing, new concept for me. I've never really done that until four years ago, and like writing them down, and and part of me still scared of that, honestly, of writing a goal down because I don't want to fail at it. So. If you don't write it down, how can you fail at something that's not there? Oh, that's deep. I like that. I never thought about it like that. 
Yeah. Was that poetry? That might have been poetry. That was. Oh, you traitor. Oh, dang. <laughs> traitor to my own traitor to my own philosophies. You hypocrite. I oh, know. Man, so man, who up to date? So you are what four years in, a hundred episodes. Who has been yeah. your favorite guest thus far? Favorite Don't say guest. me. Don't you dare say me. Uh, you're my least favorite right now. Oh, you know, <laughs> no, you're my third favorite. <laughs> Probably that is so hard. Um, yeah, my I had my sister on. Um, she she's been destroying herself with food for most of her life she's 58 and i'm like what's going on with you why are you doing this because up until the time she got married she was you know she was thin and fit and then she shortly after she got married and had her first kid she just was abusing herself just morbidly obese i'm like what's going on with you what's going on and she kept just saying nothing and got pissed at me and i said look i'm gonna keep nagging at you because i know there's something there so whenever you're ready and she finally did tell me she was sexually abused when she was six and seven years old by like a 14 year old cousin. Mm. And so she had been harboring this for 40 years and didn't tell a soul, not even her husband didn't even know. And so I said, Hey, would you share that story? Thinking that she's just going to tell me to piss off and go to die in a hole. But she said, yeah, yeah, I'll tell that story. And the healing that that has brought her has been, I mean, my show was just part of it, but to, to, to unload that to the world and get that off her chest was an absolute miracle. And I think maybe another one that was quite impressive to me was a young man who I went to church with. He was 15 at the time that I moved into this area and he had this attitude of just, F you, I dare you to try to love me or teach me, whatever. He was just kind of a prick. And he got involved in heroin. And a really smart kid got involved in heroin. And but he, he was he was so arrogant that he thought he could just he could, oh, we're just gonna sample this for research purposes. And ended up getting addicted, started robbing banks. Uh, ended up going to county jail, then to Utah State Prison. And then when he was out, and he's probably 35 now, probably 30, he's pushing 35 now. When he got out, he was doing really well. And I said, Marshall, man, you got to tell your story. This is fascinating. And it ended up being like a three-hour, you know, three-part um, interview while he was out. And it took me about three months to get it from him. And just that story of how he, you know, went from this decent young man, church going kid to robbing banks to satisfy his fix. And shortly after I interviewed, did all the third interview with him, he violated his parole and robbed another, robbed another freaking bank. Uh, and now he's in federal, he's on federal prison for another five to 15. And, but that was, uh, that's the only one that anyone ever responded to. And they were, they left a voicemail and they said, you take that down because he is a liar. And he held my girlfriend at gunpoint 
and blah, blah, just, you know, another side of the story. Um, it's the only real, real feedback I've ever got on anything, but uh, those are probably some of the two, two of the, you know, ones that really impacted. Wow. Impacted me the most. You know, it's weird yeah. how, you know, I, I don't get a lot of feedback on my podcast, but then I realized not a lot of people that have podcasts do. And I'll be honest, because I don't give people a lot of feedback on podcasts I listen to. Because it's like, you know, hey, go comment, leave a like. And it's just like, ah, I get my fix and what I need to hear. And I just keep moving, you know. So it's like, I understand yeah. why people don't do it, you know. So it's one of those things. It takes man. time. It does take time. It, but it's like, how much time does it really take? It only takes maybe yeah. oh, a minute. Yeah, to leave a review. Yeah. Yeah. Only time I've yeah. left reviews have been when I went to a restaurant and it was, I mean, the absolute worst service i ever had it was Which, in arizona yeah. at this place that called it barbecue a barbecue restaurant i saw them take the meat from the freezer and they put it on a flat iron grill warmed it up and threw barbecue sauce on it the food was atrocious and i just remember angry texting on my phone just tearing this place apart and i was looking at all these other reviews of how good it was and i just tore i mean i tore this place limb from limb the place is still there. People don't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, it's well, just and that's like, so funny. You know, usually negative reviews are the ones that people are like, yeah, they're fired up and passionate about it. They're going to give them. At the end of my show, I say, if you love or hate what you hear, leave a leave a review at this address. I haven't got any that way. But, you know, I get feedback on on when I post it on social. So it's, I hope it's, you know, my goal is that I hope, I hope it influences somebody for good um, that makes them think makes me you know if nothing else it makes me think differently and helps me grow and and one of my things i want to do is i want to interview people who i know we don't agree because you know like i would love to interview nicole hannah jones about the 1690 project mm, yeah that would be fun just to yeah. get her because i you know on the surface or even deeper we're like yeah we don't really agree but getting the why behind it i think that shows people you know uh, Going back to basic Christianity, love your neighbor. That's, that's what simple. I, that's my motto. And doing by asking someone, tell me about your experience with this. Tell me why this is so important to you or why this means to you. Why, why do you believe this? Why do you think, why do you love the Supreme Court decision? Why do you hate the Supreme Court decision? Just tell me why. I don't want to argue. I just want to know why. Opens doors and softens hearts. Yeah, it really does, you know. And so, how did you, let me ask, how did you change from being? very staunch conservative to where you are now, where you're just kind of in the middle, just wanting to understand and hear more. I got tired of hearing myself bitch and moan about things. I was a conservative talk show junkie for 20 years. All I listened to was talk, talk radio, Sean Hannity, the Glenn Becks, the Rush Limbaugh, you fill in the blank, all of them, listen to all of them. And while I think, you know, on this, in terms of policy, I agreed with them. I got so tired of the arguing. They would always just argue and name call. And I felt like I was supporting that and be, I was a part of it. And I'm like, eh, it's got to be a better way. I think we can. And instead of reacting, I just would think about if something, someone was attacking me for something, someone, someone on the left, I would just think about it instead of reacting. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there's some truth to what they say. Maybe there's some merit in their ideas and talking about, realize that we can talk about the ideas and I don't have to attack the person personally or name call or say, you're a, you're an F and F Y this X, Y, Z, this. Um, and I wanted to, 
part kind of be a part of a solution instead of continuing the same old crap. I mean, I, I work, I'm in a, I'm in a very conservative state and work with a lot of conservative people who are very, very anti Biden and voice it all the time. And in fact, when, when the gas prices started to go up, there was all these stickers that I mean, you've probably seen them that I did said, that. Yeah, I did that. I did that. <laughs> and, and one of the guys was like, Hey, you went on a road trip. You gotta, you gotta put these stickers everywhere. And I said, okay, that's funny. I'll do it. And it's funny. Ha ha. Yeah. But I went to one pump gas pump and there was already two stickers there. And I'm like, Oh, someone's beat me. But I'm thinking, did he really do that? And am I, and am I perpetuating a, something that may or may not be true? I don't know. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be part of the problem. And I feel like I'm part of the problem if I'm just bitching and moaning and blaming everything on, you can't blame everything on Biden and you can't blame everything on Trump. You can't blame, you can't blame things on whoever's in the white house. Cause I don't think they honestly have that much power. No. And I don't want to blame. I don't want to be in the blame game. Yeah. At the end of the day, <clears throat> like I teach my kids, the three P's, there's not a president, a politician or policy that somebody can enact that is going to make your life better or worse. At the end of the day, it is all on you. The only thing you control is how you respond and how you react. Literally, that's it, man. Literally. If they hike up taxes, which sucks, nobody likes, guess what? You have to cut back on your lifestyle. You got all those apps you don't use, all those video apps. You know what? Maybe you should cut some of those, man. And it sucks, yeah. just, but that's just the truth of the matter. And like I said, there's, man, we don't control any of the stuff going on. Like I say, I bitch and moan about a lot of stuff going on. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm doing? I'm getting up, putting on my work boots and going to work and doing what I got to do to take care of my family. You know, it's so easy to be the victim. And like I said, we have be literally become a nation of victims, which is completely yeah. opposite of what we as Americans have been. You know, we've always been victors. You know, we've always been able to overcome. But now it's like we've completely stopped and just turned you know, 180 and just gone the opposite direction. And we're just looking for somebody to blame but ourselves. How dare you be an advocate for personal responsibility? You're screwing up the whole system. I know, man. I know. You know what? It's so weird. So I was at my buddy's cigar shop when I was working the other night. Fadi, he, my, I love my guy, Fadi. Shout out to Fadi. You know, he's from Jordan, came to America, didn't speak a lick of English, and he's become very successful. You know, so I was talking to this young black girl in the shop, you know, and I was just listening to her. And, and I was, she was like, you know, I'm going to be an advocate for black people, and I'm going to make things right and better for my people. And, and I asked her, I was like, yo, so we know that there's a problem within the African-American community with violence and there's cultural issues and there's a lack of fathers in the black homes. You know, and I asked her, I was like, how do we change that? You know, and everything she kept going back to was white supremacy, this, that. And I'm like, I understand that that stuff has played a role. I was like, but on a lower level, how do we change the family and the home? And she's like, well, that means you don't understand white supremacy in this country. And it was never mm -hmm. a look at myself or a look at the people around me in my community. It was always pointing the finger. And I just kind of got tired with the conversation because I was like, just, we're just going to blame it all on the white man. At the end of the day, I'm like, there's only so much blame the white man can take at a certain point. We, Michael Jackson, man, yeah. is the man in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it is. It, it, you having someone or you're holding someone personally, you know, accountable, personal accountability, responsibility that pisses people off Oh, because absolutely. that's hard because they have to look inward. We have to look inward and like, well, yeah, maybe I am a douchebag and maybe I need to change some things in my own life and decisions I make. 
And that's much harder than going, yeah, that bastard across the street did it. It's him. That's I'm just reacting. Right. Where's my brothers and sisters? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And there's all the, the man's got his foot on my neck and for black people, unfortunately our history in this country, which has not been very great. And there are still a lot of issues yeah. that permeated from slavery and Jim Crow, which all wasn't all that long ago. It, it's so easy for us to play the victim because we have that baggage that we've ca- that's been carried with us since America started, you know, and it's so hard to break away from that because a lot of that is part of our culture, you know, the distrust. Well, and it's Yeah. Well, you told me when I interviewed you last time, you, you talked about uh, you pull when you pull over, you pull over a car uh, full of young black men and you mentioned something about, you know, you got a grandma that's 80 years old that's been teaching fear of the police for, you know, because she grew up in the 20s or 30s when that was a problem. So maybe elaborate on that, what you meant by that. Uh, generational trauma. It, it yes. literally gets yeah, yeah. passed down. Yeah. Like my grandma born in Mississippi in 1920. Of course she didn't like black people. Or excuse me, of course she didn't like white people. And you know what she's going to teach my mother and my her kids? Don't trust white people. And they're going to teach them, don't trust white people. And that just keeps getting yeah. put down. And that in turn puts into, oh, you can't trust the police. Look what they've done to us all this time. And I can't argue that. <laughs> but at the same yeah, time, at a, yeah, yeah, but that's why I believe in Christianity and love Christianity. Because with Christianity, at a certain point, you have to learn to forgive. And one of my favorite verses is, the Lord will not forgive you until you forgive others. And I've tried that with some people that I know that are Christian and very, very pro-black. And I ask them, at what point does forgiveness come in? And they, and they always turn it back with, well, when they stop doing the things they're doing to us. And so it's just this constant loop of, they did me wrong, I'm not going to forgive them, and I'm just waiting for them to stop doing wrong. You know, and it's just like, you know, insanity is doing the same thing, except, you know, expecting a different result. Yeah. And a lot of us are just continuing to do the same thing. And that's when I realized I had to break away and find my own path. And I've never been happier learning to forgive those that hurt me because harboring all that negative energy and emotion did nothing for anybody. And it only hurt you further. Yeah, no, it's like, it's like swallowing poison and hoping your enemy dies. And it's, there's a forgiveness is like, well, they'll, they need, they need to get what's coming to them. And forgiveness doesn't do that. Like, yeah, you're right. It, it, what's coming to them is not up to you. That's up to God and nature or universe or whoever, mother, whatever. It's not up to you to do that. And, and forgiveness is hard. It's hard it's as hell. The hardest thing. But to it works. Do. But it works. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I want, I want, I mean, I, I had a roommate years ago that stole some money from me and, and I was, it was, I was so angry at this person for so long. And I finally, I think I'd read a book. There was a book called the miracle of forgiveness. Um, so I read it and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try this. Let's test this out. And I, I said, Hey, you stole that money from me. I'm, but I'm done. It's considered a gift. And it was almost like instantaneous. I just felt free. And do I, do I, I haven't forgot it obviously, cause I'm still talking about it, but I don't harbor any anger towards that person for doing that. That was the first time I'd experienced, you know, had an experience with trying to do that, but it works. And it's, it's just such a better way. Cause you're, you're, 
you can't grow when you're pissed off and wallowing in misery and sorrow. You're stagnant. That that's damnation, you know, mm-hmm. where you're not progressing. But <clears throat> you know. and, I, and I feel like that's where we are at the country. You know, we're so focused on, I guess, what has been done in the past and, and we just can't let go of it. You know, we just keep digging up these old skeletons and old bones. We're looking at what it was, but not what it is, man. And it's just like, I'm a black man in America and I live a wonderful life. I live a great life, but I understand that not every black person in America is living my life currently. But I believe anybody can live the life I'm living because I am not exceptional in any way. I am painfully average um, of average intelligence. Sometimes some people would say below, especially my wife. She's probably right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, but but it's just just letting go of that past, man, and just dragging this baggage and all these chains with you just wears you down. And that's what I'm trying to teach my kids. And that's what I try to teach a lot of people I interact with as an officer. It's just it, like somebody will say, Man, I hate y'all cops. I hate y'all what y'all did to me. I say, hey, it wasn't me. It wasn't me, man. It's like me and you are stuck and fresh. He's like, I know it wasn't you, but you in the uniform. I was like, hey, whatever they did, that's between you and them. But let's me and you make a fresh start. And so I feel like with your podcast yeah. and mine, like we're trying to get people to have a fresh start. And it's so hard to do. And I tell people, not everybody has to be a Christian, but a lot of the values and morals that you get from religion and Christianity, a lot of those could go such a long and far way with helping making the world and just our, you know, our communities and our families a better, a better place, man. Yeah. Just basic kindness. And that's, I, you know, I've been beating this drum for so long that I'm almost tired of hearing myself say it, but I think that's the way. And do I suck at it sometimes? Yeah, I'm sure I do. I'm sure I don't handle things as well as I could, but at least I'm trying to do, do right by that philosophy every day. In, in loving your neighbor and your neighbor is everybody, everyone around you. Um, not some, Jesus didn't say save them, fix them, convert them, change their mind, punch them, put them on a personal service project list. He said, love them. And, and I don't think it gets any more complicated than that. Man, not easy, but it's not complicated either. No, but we make it complicated because you know, of pride yeah. and ego. It always gets in the way, man. But man, this has been yeah. phenomenal, man. This has been awesome. This is ah, feel so energized after this one talking to you, brother. It's, it's good to have you <laughs> on. So before we get ready to hang this up, where can people find you, and how pe- can people support your podcast and tune in and listen? It's uh, just the Paris the Thought podcast is the the name of it, and I'm on all you know social media. I think uh, Instagram it's Parish Podcast, um, and then just through Facebook and all the other blah 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 and. <laughs> Just uh, share it. If, if it move, I always tell people if it moves you, if it does anything for you, then share it with someone else and see if we can make the world less crappy than it was yesterday. All right, man. How did you come up with that name? There was some, I was telling my buddy about it. He was like, man, that's very catchy. It's very, well, it's love the, that podcast. Fra- I've heard that, that, that phrase, you know, perish the thought. I've heard that my whole life. Like, perish, how dare you think that? And I'm like, well, that makes sense. It's my name, so why not roll with it? I may have to do like a tagline or a subheading. And I think I was writing it down. Oh, real conversations with the less than famous. That's what I want. That's <laughs> I like it. I like it though. <laughs> Just, I, I'd never really thought about having a tagline until, until today. 
And uh, so just, just, it's a goofy, goofy little phrase that works with my name. So, but it's awesome, I'm man. Because it. It's awesome because honestly, dude, like being a podcaster and an author, it's humbling because somebody told me I reached out to somebody for like a, an agent, like you didn't kill Bin Laden, you're a guy with a great story, but honestly, nobody cares. <laughs> and I was like, well, damn. You know, it's crazy, yeah. but that's but I mean, how you really feel. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, that's how it really works. Like nobody knows who you are. So people are like, OK, why should I listen to you? And that's just one of those things where it's like, man, but with your show, everybody has a story and interviews with the less than famous yeah. man. That's I like it. And why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't someone listen to your story? And because we all we all want to change the world. And, and I may have mentioned this before in this big grand way. Well, go change the world. Like, okay, what does that look like? I have to become president? No. You can change the world by being kinder to your neighbor that you have been fighting with for years. That's where you start. And that's that's attainable and easy to do for people. And they don't have to feel like, because they figure, oh, unless I can do it on this grand scale where millions are affected, I don't want to do it. Well, maybe, maybe it'll be hundreds of, that are affected. If you think about it, like I, I look at, on average, my my podcast gets, I don't know, maybe a hundred listens per episode. And you think, well, that's crap. What are yeah. these people that get these bazillion downloads? But you think about, and just imagine yourself in a, in a hotel ballroom and there's a hundred people in there. That's a lot of people. That is. You don't so think about it, it like that though. <laughs> no. You think, oh, I want that, that million listeners and million downloads and blah, blah, blah. That's not what it's about. That's great. If that happens, I'm, I'll be grateful for it and figure out how to manage that, that level of attention. But right now, you know, people listen and I've had some, some you know, from high school friends that said, hey, thanks so much for your show. I listen to it all the time and I appreciate your perspective and the world needs to hear more of it. And that meant the world to me. And that was one person that I didn't even, I haven't even spoken to in 30 years. So powerful, man. Keep doing it. Keep doing no. your thing. I love what you're doing. Love you, your perspectives. And I, I like hearing your perspectives because cops have a bad rap right now. And I was just in England and I, <coughs> I accost, accosted a couple biker cops. I saw the South picture London. you sent me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I said, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of British cops for so long. And I'm, I'm, I said, would you guys be willing to, to come on my show? And of course, you know, the bureaucracies are ridiculous. And they said, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk to our superiors and we get asked a lot. And because I want to do a comparison because I know that the media portrays cops as just bloodthirsty killers that is, they're out shooting people for fun and that they, they use guns too quickly. Whereas in Britain, I don't, I think they just now allowed to carry weapons in maybe the last few years. That cops yeah. They have around. certain specialized officers and units that have them. Yeah. That's crazy. And <laughs> I want to know, okay, well, here's a situation. How would you handle that? And just compare just to understand, but you know, everyone's got their stupid bureaucracy and regulations are afraid to get sued. And so they haven't responded yet. We'll wow. see. I hope so. I'll be looking forward to that one, my man. I really, yeah, really fun. Well, man, like I said, you have my complete love so, and my support, brother. Just like I told Tina, she's my favorite white lady. You're my third favorite white guy. Got two ahead. You're my but... third favorite white guy. Okay, <laughs> You're working your way to the top. <laughs> well, you know, everyone need everyone needs a good favorite white guy. You know, and I'll work my way up to the top somehow. 
did you wear any cross colors for Juneteenth? Any any what colors? Cross colors. The African cross colors. Okay, here's I have to make a confession. I don't think I, I even knew what Juneteenth was even like in the last six months, I didn't know what it was. So Most how did don't. I miss Juneteenth? Most people don't, man. Don't feel bad. Trust me. I've known it my whole life, but nobody's ever really celebrated. It's literally been a mostly a. Regional. When did it become? When did it become a, ho- a national holiday? Was it this year? Is that why I heard about it? Last year, because like last said, year, yeah, last okay. year. Okay, yeah. Biden and the Democrats used it as a political ploy for you know, it's poli- political, man. But like I said, strip away the politics from it. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, and I, like when you say cross colors, I, I did nothing because I didn't really know. <laughs> Just admit my ignorance. I didn't know. Brother, most black so, people don't even, most black people don't even know. So don't feel bad. Man. <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, most Americans don't know our history here in general. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, I, I, you know, you know what a good guest would be for you. Uh, I'll send you his, um, his stuff is Jonathan Dunn. He's an Irishman who has been preaching about America and how amazing America is for years, 15, he's been trying to get to America for 15 years. He finally made it. He, he came and did a speaking tour last year and he ended up getting married to a woman he's been courting for a long, long time. He now lives in Oklahoma, but he has such a phenomenal perspective of America and why America is great. Um, I'm going to connect you with him. I think he'd be. I'm down for he, that, my know, brother. He, he, come on. He is, he's, I am embarrassed about how little um, uh, how little of America's history I know, and this guy is not even from here. And he that's he eats, drinks, and breathes it about why America. He says America is great because Americans are good, and and goes you know our our principles are greater than our problems. And he's amazing. You know it is, man. If you're born into money, you're born rich. That's all you know. You take it for granted. Yeah, that's most of us here, man. If if we've never left. Or visited anywhere else. We haven't. There's no way to compare. We have no. There's no perspective on it. Exactly. You know our freedoms. Being able to talk. You and I being able to talk like this, and not get. You know, have someone knocking on our door and getting whisked away and never seen again. Where some countries that is the case. Yeah. Seems like a movie, but it's a reality. It's definitely a reality in a lot of places in the world, man. That's why I will always say I love America and I love my fellow Americans, just like you, brother. Yeah. Man, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for your time, man. Hey, you are so welcome, man. It has been an honor and a pleasure. I appreciate it and love to do it again. And let me know how I can help you with your book or whatever you're doing. I'd love to help you. Man, thanks, Brian. I appreciate you, brother. You take it easy. All right, man. All right. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye.